lifetime value comes down to two things, right? Price, like how much you're charging someone and then how long they stick around, right? The retention. And so I think for me, it's actually really funny you, you ask this because I posted the other day, like, what would a PE firm do if they bought your company? What would they do the first day? And like, it's literally like juice lifetime value through a bunch of tactical things. So just a quick list. The way we think about customers and growth is changing. Welcome to Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. Our goal here is simple. In under 30 minutes, we aim to give you an implementable strategy to increase your customer lifetime value. That's it. No fluff, all strategy. Hello, hello. Welcome to class, everyone. I am super excited to have Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, here with us today. If I was to create a list of the 10 people in the world who know the most about customer lifetime value, Pat would be on that list. Pat, thanks for hopping on with me. Dangerous, dangerous preface. Now there's heavy <laughs> expectations, but we're wearing enough ProfitWell swag amongst us that uh, I think we'll be fine. Uh, yeah. Can't really see, but Casey's decked out completely. I got my hat, so I think I think we should be good. But yeah, excited, excited to help. Yeah, awesome, man. And do you want to just take a quick moment just to tell people a little bit about you and your background really quick so they kind of know where you're coming from? Sure, totally. My uh, Patrick Campbell, CEO, founder of ProfitWell. My background's in econometrics and math, meaning had a lot of friends as a child, clearly. Uh, and I uh, started my career, I worked in US intelligence. Then I worked at Google, building models and using numbers to hunt bad guys or gals or money. And then started a company called ProfitWell about nine and a half years ago. And basically, we're in the business of what's called subscription revenue automation. So you should be able to plug your billing system in um, and automatically make money, like not like have to set anything up just it works um, and so we do that I mean, what we're most known for is we have this free subscription metrics product so you plug in your billing system you get all of your subscription financial reporting for free we have about 30,000 subscription companies using that and then we use that data to basically train our algorithms to reduce churn through our retain product um, or to optimize pricing through our price intelligently product and so yeah that's that's kind of the lowdown hopefully that all made sense yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm excited to kind of get into your lesson for us. But before that, I just want to ask a quick question. So when you think about customer lifetime value, there's so many levers here, right? Like there's the amount, there's the average order size, there's churn, there's upgrades. Do you have a way of kind of where you start when an organization wants to optimize for customer lifetime value, but there's like, there's so many different directions they could go. How do you kind of think about that puzzle? Yeah. So Lifetime value comes down to two things, right? Price, like how much you're charging someone and then how long they stick around, right? The retention. And so I think for me, it's actually really funny you, you ask this because I posted the other day, like what would a PE firm do if they bought your company? What would they do the first day? And like, it's literally like juice lifetime value through a bunch of tactical things. So just a quick list raising prices if your NPS is over 20, at least once a year, really once a year, add two to three different add-ons, take features out of the product. And normally these are features that less than 30% of people are using anyways, and they're willing to pay. Not always, but there's, there's always something typically. So take two to three of those out and charge on, on a subscription basis for those additional add-ons. Enforce overages, expansion revenue. A lot of founders and teams are scared because they're like, well, the customer's going to leave if I charge them the thing they know they're going to have to get charged for. So if they're using a hundred widgets and the plan only allows for 50 
widgets a month, like bump them up to the 100 widget plan. And then internationalization, if you have 20% or more of your base outside of your home region, I would internationalize your pricing, meaning not only the currency symbols should be what the the region wants, but also the actual price probably is different because of different densities. So that's the pricing side, the retention side. If you're a credit card-based business, meaning that's how you accept your your payments, you probably have too many credit card failures. So I'd plug that hole up. It's typically about 20 to 40% of lost customers. Implement reactivations. One of the strongest segments, it's not the biggest segment, thank God, but the strongest segments for conversion are people who have left your product. A lot of people leave for reasons that have nothing to do with you. And so you're able to get about 20 to 30% um, annually of those people who have canceled back just through basic marketing campaigns to that segment. Cancellation flows. So when someone hits cancel, just making sure you have a basic offboarding that tries to save those users through some offers. And then the final thing would be term optimization, which would be trying to get your monthly customers onto quarterly or annual plans. Um, if you're B2B SaaS, like annual plans, the lifetime value is like two to 400% higher. And also the cash flow is really helpful. But most of the time, the only time we ask for this is when someone signs up when they've never used the product. So you want to target those folks between two and 10 months. And so yeah, those are the eight things. Um, I was really prepared for that because I just <laughs> posted on social for it. But those are the, those are the eight things I would do like immediately for lifetime value. So I guess we're I, I guess we're it. done. I guess the podcast is done. So yeah, no, I mean those those are those are super valuable, and I love that it, it's very specific things we can plug in. And I I totally have seen that happen with annual contracts as well. That timing is kind of misaligned, and people lose that big opportunity window. So. That's awesome. And I'll serve it, I guess, back to you, Pat. If you have a specific kind of lesson or piece you want to go more in depth or walk us through, I'll give you the floor. I'm, I'm here to take notes and listen. We should just end the entire... No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think, <laughs> so So here's, here's a really... Everything I just said, like you may have heard before, maybe not all in the same context, but like I think there's a big problem with a lot of... A lot of our companies, we get very emotional about business, which is totally fine, right? We have all these relationships and I think it's great. But... The problem is, is that we get scared to make some of these hard decisions. And I think that's one, because we, we get loss aversion. We're like, we're growing a company and all of a sudden we're like scared to like enforce something or we're scared to like try to save someone, right? A lot of founders or a lot of product people, what they'll say is like, well, if the product was valuable enough, the customer would stick around. And it's like, it's not wrong, but it's woefully incomplete. There's different nudges you can do because it's not like a binary thing, like someone values it or not. It's, well, someone didn't have enough time to use the paid product and now they're going to leave. Well, I can offer them a free month or $10 off the next month to stick around and hopefully get enough time to see the value in the product, right? Because everyone's a little bit different. And so I think the the really theoretical or philosophical thing I, I want everyone to think about is the beauty of the subscription model and the beauty of lifetime value is that it's the first business model in the history of humankind where the relationship with the customer is baked directly into how you make money. You didn't have this. In the 1800s, you had the corner store or the general store where that business technically had all the power. If you were mean to them, they could delay your orders. If you were nice to them, you could get good deals, all these other things, right? Then in post-World War II consumerism, consumers had all the power. You know, there's a there's coupons everywhere. There's stores on every block, right? Well, subscriptions, it's like, yes, the consumer still has more of the power, but every single month, you start with those users, right? And then obviously some of them churn and cancel. And so the reason I bring that up is that if you think about that relationship, there's a lot of these little tactical things that you can do. There's a lot of these different things that you can do that are more strategic that we haven't talked about. But I think it's one of those things where when you keep that in mind, you should have more confidence in going, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm valuable in this relationship. 
they're valuable in this relationship. People know things cost money. So I shouldn't be afraid to be like, hey, you're getting more value. You're, you, we've pushed all these features. It's awesome. We're just going to bump the price up so we can continue to reinvest in making the product more valuable for you, right? Or, hey, like we've been together now for 16 months. I'm not like you said you're leaving because of this. Why don't, here's a calendar link. Why don't we get on the phone to talk about it, right? There's these different things you can do. And so, yeah, I think that's the thing that a lot of people, a lot of founders, a lot of execs need to think about. And it's not something that's like, you know, cute and philosophical. It's so real that like, that's why all the tactics work. And hopefully that gives some confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the high level scaffolding that you kind of have to have to then put into place the tactics, like you're saying, right? Yeah. And I think, don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of retention and pricing and that that's like death by a thousand paper cuts of bugs. Which feature should I build? Which segment should we go after? There's all of that type of stuff that influences lifetime value. And it probably has a greater influence on lifetime value. But those types of strategic things, we call those strategic LTV or strategic retention. That's, that's like years of being really good at product to figure all those out, right? All these tactical things that I said about lifetime value, if your product sucks, they won't work, right? But also like if you're post-product market fit, they're relatively easy to implement and they incrementally lower that churn and increase that lifetime value so that you can you know, ultimately have the time to figure out all those strategic pieces and then all this stuff compounds to grow your business. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the beauty of things. That's awesome. And I'm curious, how do you think about advocacy or like, say you have a customer, I'll use a actual real example. We have Pat Flynn as a big influencer for us, drove us like hundreds and hundreds of paid customers, but his actual spend and even his affiliate spend is actually quite small in regards to his total impact. Is there a way that we can quantify that? Do you see that kind of as like separate from standard customer lifetime value? Like, how do you think about those influencer style relationships? Because not just at this organization, but many organizations I've worked with have had, you know, a lot of wind in their sails from having prominent people that work with them in various capacities. So I'm just curious if you have a take on it. Yeah, I think that gets into, I mean, if you wanted to create a true stack rank of all of your customers, right, in terms of value, like you'd have to take that stuff into an account. But yeah, I think I think that's when you think about advocacy too, like this is why I think it's important to to model some of these things like customer satisfaction and to have like actual advocacy programs because then you can influence what you measure, right? And and maybe there's a world where if you were to recalculate lifetime value to consider some of these things, maybe Pat gets a discount or maybe Pat gets some features for free that he wouldn't normally get, for instance, because he's so much value, more valuable to you from a referral standpoint, right? This is kind of like why I love like customer advisory panels because customer advisory panels are typically made up of like, here are best customers for lots of reasons. Normally they're referring a lot of folks as well, or they're very large using our product. I want to maximize those things and learn as much as humanly possible from them. And I want to reward them for it through different like programs and things like that, whether it's a formal kind of referral program or it's something that's a little bit more, you know, kind of ad hoc, like a customer advisory panel. But yeah, I think that's something to kind of consider. I think yeah, sometimes I, I feel like there's a lot of ways to like approach this and some people are a little more sophisticated than others. And personally, we we don't do as good of a job as we should on the Profile Metrics product about creating community. And I think this next wave is really going to be community focused. And I think that's something that a lot of brands are going to have to do. And the best kind of entry point into that is through advocacy and and kind of those referrals. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes, I think it's something that like we intrinsically know as organizations is important, but it can be challenging to quantify, right? Like some things are very straightforward to quantify and some other things can be kind of tricky to know, like, you know, what is the value of some really high profile person who constantly like posts or talks about you? There can be ways if you're not using direct attribution, which in almost all these cases with high profile people, you're not right. Like they're not shepherding your UTM link, right? So it's an interesting one. I think we have a lot of valuable insights we've delivered to people. Is there anything else as kind of like parting wisdom that we kind of talked about some of the major things to look at and we had kind of a specific overall philosophy? Is there any other pieces of this that you're like, all right, guys, like pay attention to this, implement these low hanging fruits as you're kind of looking at customer lifetime value? Totally. So all the things I mentioned in like the eight, you know, the four pricing monetization pieces, the four retention pieces, those pieces are all very implementable at different levels. So what I mean by that is if you have nothing, give yourself a hard deadline to implement as many of them as you can, like especially the retention ones that just pay dividends over time. The reason I bring this up is a lot of companies get like, basically what I'm saying is done is better than perfect. You can always come back to it. What we find is people try to like overthink some of these things. And in a price increase, you should overthink, right? Whereas like setting up marketing campaigns or the equivalent marketing campaigns to help with your credit card failures, that's something like just get the basics in place as soon as humanly possible and then come back to it when you have a chance later. Because we'll see people that just like, oh, we'll get around to it. And it's like three years later. And, you know, we sell products that do most of the things we talked about. So it's like funny, like we we have actual insight where it's like, for three years, they didn't do anything. And like in that time frame, the amount of like revenue and the amount of lifetime value they could have gained just by doing something basic, let alone implementing something like our, our product, it's like, it's just kind of amazing. So just do something, like just do something, I think is the, the biggest thing. I always tell people like put a, you know, recurring meeting on the calendar for once a month, every two weeks, whatever it is. And even if you snooze it a couple of times, eventually it gets annoying enough that you actually do something. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's a really powerful thing for people. So just do something, I guess is, is a good summary. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Pat. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. We're grateful. Oh, very last thing. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, email address is patrick at profwell.com. If you're looking for benchmarks, we have so many subscription companies using Profwell. We probably have published something or at least know how to get it for you on a question you have around monetization or retention. So don't be afraid to email me at patrick at profwell.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of the basic stuff I'm on. But uh, yeah, happy to help. And hopefully you got the impression, uh, you know this, Casey, but folks listening or watching, like we're, we're all in the game of evangelism. So like, don't be afraid to use and abuse us. We help lots of people who we know are never going to pay us. So it's totally fine. (laughs) Grateful for you, Pat. Take it easy. All right. See you, brother. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Bonjoro, the world's first customer loyalty platform, giving you the tools to create customer loyalty and leverage that loyalty to improve your customer lifetime value. 